Good morning, everybody. You can find your seats, and as you sit down, you can turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Um, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're continuing our series uh, through the book of 2 Corinthians, and of course, our series is called The God of All Comfort. Paul says, right at the beginning of the book, he says, praise God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So he even writes and says, the reason I'm writing this book to you is because I've written some other letters that were really harsh, that were really hard. And I had to write them because you were not listening and you were not serving me and you were actually making the name of Christ terrible. And so I had to write these hard letters. But then Paul's writing this letter to say, but I am so comforted because I have heard specifically, we found out last week and that from Titus, that you guys actually listened to me and you've repented and you confronted the sin in your church and you, you loved people enough to tell them you can't do that, you have to stop. You loved people enough to challenge whether they really knew Jesus or whether they were faking it. He's like, I'm so comforted to hear of your faith and your willingness to believe in what I told you and to believe the scriptures. And so that's pretty powerful if you think about as Paul writes this book. This week, we looked at the last couple of weeks, the idea of the gift of grace and the ministry of grace and that being finances. So Paul spends two chapters writing about money. I'm not going to go back into that. We had to talk about it for two weeks. You can go back and listen to the podcast. But Paul, Paul then transitions this week, he transitions in chapter 10. Some scholars think that maybe this was kind of a hard transition. In other words, Paul wrote about money for two chapters and then he had to get on his horse and travel somewhere. And then on the way traveling, he started reciting to whoever was with him to write this next thing I just thought of down. So if you ever read Paul's letters and they kind of seem kind of dis, disjunct, you know, a little bit, they're like, over here and then over there, sometimes the reason that Paul's letters are written that way is because he stops writing, dictating, because they arrive in a town and then all of a sudden he's got a new thought and they got to pick it back up. They weren't worried about turning in a paper and having good transitions with a thesis and a logical conclusion. They were worried about telling what God had asked them to speak. And God really isn't concerned if you like his transitions or not. I don't know if you know that, right? And so, Sometimes when we read these letters, there is a pattern. There are things Paul's writing or that letters in the Old Testament are trying to speak. But sometimes there can be kind of abrupt parts that we're like, wait, what just happened? And this is kind of one of those when you read the book. And also, what we're getting ready to transition to for the rest of the book, to the end of 2 Corinthians, is really probably some of Paul's harshest messages that he ever wrote about people. He talks about specific people. I mean, it's, it's pretty rough. Because you got to remember, he's already written two letters and people still aren't listening. And he knows who they are by name. And he's thinking to himself, if I don't call these people out, if this isn't dealt with, I'm concerned for their eternal destiny. And I don't know how much time I have left. I'm shipwrecked, I'm beaten. I got stuff happening to me all the time. I'm not holding this back. And so really, the last few chapters... A second Corinthians, you've got to understand that the, the comfort Paul is trying to give is a comfort in heaven. It's a comfort in a relationship with Christ, not a comfort in the peace and prosperity and how things are going in our life and how we feel. He's like, no, take confidence that the God of comfort will comfort us one day. So now in chapter 10, here's what we're going to be talking about. Boasting and commending. Let me ask you. Because Paul talks about this in the book. Let me ask you this. What do you boast about and commend yourself for? What do you boast about and commend yourself for? We all do it. And if you think you don't, well, here's another question. Do you boast about not boasting and commending yourself? And you say, well, no, I don't boast. I don't, I'm a really quiet person. I don't talk. Great. Do you simply boast and commend yourself about how great it is that you do not boast and commend yourself out loud? See how bad we boast and commend ourselves? Like we say, I'm doing well because I'm not boast. That person's really boastful. Like, look how loud they are and they get everybody's attention. Oh, they're, they're, oh, oh, that's not me at all. Well, why are you jealous of that? Oh, because you're not getting the attention. 
Because you don't like that. Or, I mean, is it really about the glory of God? Oh, they're not glorifying God. They're actually sinning by bringing attention to themselves and they're saying bad things about who God is. And so as a result, I need to confront them because they're ruining the body of Christ. That's probably never been the thought you had in those situations, or if so, very rarely. And this is something that's hard for me. Somebody asked me recently, if you had to say what your vice is, your biggest sin is, it, always, when someone asks me, the first thing I say is pride. It's pride. Boom. Instantly. Pride. Always. 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 Pride. And even when I think I'm not being proud, I'm probably being proud. And I got to check it at the door. And Paul knows this. And so he's written about all these things. He's addressed these issues. He just wrote about money. And so now the Corinthian church is patting themselves on the pack because Paul has said, hey, you guys, you guys are givers. You're giving money. They're all, oh, yeah, we're great. And then Paul's like, uh, but I got to talk about something. And he dives in. So if you've got your Bibles, again, turn to 2 Corinthians 10. I'm going to read the whole thing. So that we got to get an overview and then we'll, we'll break it down. He says, now I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you in absent, I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with confident, with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are walking in a fleshly way. For although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way, since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments in every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete, he says. Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast some more about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I am not ashamed. I don't want to seem as though I'm trying to terrify you with my letters. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. <laughs> I think that's hilarious that Paul writes that. Such a person should consider this. What are we in the words of our letters when absent, or what we are in the words of our letters when absent, we will be in actions when present. For we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us which reaches even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you. Since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ, we are not bragging beyond measure about other people's labors, but we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel, that's the good news about Jesus, to the regions beyond you, not boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry, so the one who boasts must boast in the Lord, for it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, help us to see what we are to boast in and how we are to commend ourselves and one another and to commend and boast about you. Lord, help us to peel back the layers of our heart so that we can see clearly your love, your comfort, your truth, and we'll know how to take that into the world and into the body of Christ around us, we pray in your name. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians, the first part, Paul says, look, now I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. I who am humble among you in person, but bold to you when absent, I beg that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think they are behaving in an unspiritual way. You see, it's easy for us to label people unspiritual because they seem too harsh or they seem too nice. It's very easy for us to look and say, you know, Paul's looking at this and he's like, look, when I'm among you, 
I'm humble. I'm bold, though, when I'm absent. Because I'm not there. I have to tell you the truth clearly because I'm not there to nuance it and be patient. By the way, that's what this is. <laughs> this is pretty bold. <laughs> because Jesus isn't here anymore. And when Jesus came, how did he come? Very humble. Very kind, very patient. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm just acting like Christ, right? I'm just, I've got to tell you the truth. And so I've written these letters and there are people now, Paul's saying, look, as I've traveled, as I've written these letters, I'm finding out more and more people are offended by my letters. Do you know how many people are offended by Paul's letters today? Lots. They keep changing them. Paul says stuff and we're like, well, that's not what Paul really meant. What he really meant was this. Why do you think that? Well, because it just works better. No, he wrote it. It was scripture. The church has agreed that it's scripture for 2,000 years. Why do we fight it? Because of pride? Because we don't like boasting about what God says. We like to boast about what works. And Paul says, he goes on, he says, look, I beg that when I am present with you, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people. Ouch. He's like, I'm coming to visit. Have you taken care of what I asked you to take care of? Look, every kid knows this pressure. Mom and dad get home at what time? Right? And you're like, they're coming home. This week, Jay Farley, who's not here this morning because he's visiting, at a, his, he had a family death, he's out of town. Jay this morning knew Greg was coming back. And Jay is living at Greg's house. And boy, did Jay do a, I mean, just bang up job. And I heard from Jay. You heard him last week. I got a lot to do. Greg's coming home, right? I got to get here. I got to get this house cleaned up. See, we feel that pressure because it's like, well, they're delay, they're over. And I know the rules. I know that Greg wants a clean house. I know Susan wants, I know my parents want to clean. Like, I know, but it's like, but I don't have to yet because they're not here. So I'm just going to live like a pig. Until they have, like, that's what we do, right? We, we all do it in some small way, maybe not a huge way. Maybe some of you are more clean, but it's like that mess on the counter, you're going to leave right till the last minute because you're like, I just don't want to clean that up because that's my mess. And I'm going to do it before she gets home or he gets home or they get home, but I'm just, uh. it's like there's comfort in not doing the right thing. Like this pride in us that's like, that's mine. We have it. And Paul's saying, look, don't be that way. I am coming and I'm going to deal with stuff. Don't think that the things that I wrote in my other letters, I'm not going to deal with. And I'm going to deal with it because of the graciousness and the gentleness of Christ. That's what he says. I'm not trying to hurt you. I don't, I don't want to come and beat you up. I want to come and be confident that you are walking in the grace of Jesus and that you have gently, as the Bible says, as, as Galatians says, you have gently restored your brothers and sisters. That's what I want to come and walk into. I don't want to have to be the guy that says, why didn't you? Why didn't you? You should have. Now you're grounded. Now you're dipping down. I don't want to be that. But if I come home and that's how it is, I'm going to be that. And, and me and you, we're going to get busy together on this project. Get me and you now. Do it. And Paul's like, don't be that way. Then he says, look at this. Who think we're behaving in an unspiritual way. Again, we love to label people unspiritual because they're too harsh. Or they're not harsh enough. Or they boast too much. Or they don't boast enough. They commend themselves too much. Or they commend themselves not enough. So how do you handle people who you think are being unspiritual? How do we handle that? How do we determine if they're being unspiritual or not? Paul says, I know how to determine that. I've been determining, I'm going I'm to deal with, are they being spiritual or not? Paul says he's going to do it. I'm going to dig a little bit. Here's what Matthew says. Jesus gave us a litmus test. He said, if your brother sins against you, pause. If your brother sins against you, if your brother sins, question one, is what, they doing, is what they are doing sinful or is it just annoying? And annoying could be sinful. It could just be annoying. 
Should I allow myself to be annoyed? Because really, I'm just annoyed. Other people aren't annoyed by that. Or does this really annoy everyone? And I probably need to warn them and be like, that's really annoying to everyone. I'm just letting you know. Not just me. Right? Like, if it's sin, you've got to confront it. You've got to talk about it. You've got to have it out there. And, if, and, and then the response of the person is really telling. That's annoying me. Too bad. Ha. Oh, now we have sin. You weren't sinning when you were just doing the thing that was annoying, but now that your response reveals you're in sin. Because your response to them was, I don't care about you, I don't care what you think, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Pride. Boasting. I'm going to commend myself to do what I think I should be commended to do. So take that. You didn't have a discussion. You didn't look at them and say, why are you annoyed by that? I'm just curious. I'm not, I'm not saying I won't stop. I'm just, can we have a discussion about what this is, and then you talk and you come to a resolution. That's how it's supposed to work, but that's not how it works because we're all prideful. And typically when someone's annoying us, we're like, we get them and then we get them back and then we just keep beating each other until somebody steps in, like the police or someone else, like Paul coming to the church, says stop beating each other up. Let's have a conversation. And so the first thing is, is it sinful? The next thing is, is it sinful to you? Like it's between you and the person. You can't say like generally. Like, no, no, no. It's you. If your brother sins against you, so it's not like you're picking on everybody else and looking at everybody else's sin. You're looking at what happened to you and how you're supposed to handle that situation with that person. Or something that you saw happen that was sinful and crud, now I have to deal with that because I know about it. And you don't go around. Look at what, Paul, what Jesus says. Rebuke him in private. Private. Not publicly, not in front of everyone, in private. We don't do this. We do, we do a terrible job of this. And so you should go to them. It says go to them. It doesn't say just pat yourself on the back with how great it is that you tolerate the annoyance and the sin of people. No, it says go to them. Go to them and say, I'm, I got to deal with this. I love you. We got to have it out. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's do this together. And you say, well, I've done that before and it didn't work. Jesus knew that, so he said this. If he listens to you, you've won your brother or sister. But if he won't listen to you, take, two, take one or two more with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. That's Old Testament law right there. Jesus is quoting how Old Testament, you were supposed to handle Old Testament disputes. Jesus isn't making up something new. He's like, do what you know to do because it's in the Bible. You see that? He's using scripture. This isn't his personal opinion. He's like, no, it's, it's been written down. And then he says, look, if he pays no attention to them, then go to the church, the local body of believers. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. Notice Jesus doesn't say if he stops sinning. Well, that's what listening would be. Like, if I tell you, you annoy me, and then you stop it, I win. Everything's good. We're all at peace because I am God. No, did he pay attention and say, oh, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. Could you be patient with me while I try to figure that out? Could you, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'd like to think about this. See the difference? See, we think I confronted you. Okay, now stop. Okay, we're good. And if you do it again, then be careful. Be careful that you don't handle it that way. Did they listen? Are they trying? Are they struggling? Are you helping them? You helping them get rid of that habit? Because if it's a really bad, sinful habit, they've been doing it so long, it's probably like second nature. They don't even know they're doing it. It's going to take some time to undo that thing. And Paul's like, look, I got to come and I'm going to deal with some things and I'm asking you to kind of prepare people. I'm asking you to deal with things, not just bury them under the rug and think, oh, it'll all get better because the Holy Spirit will change everybody. Yeah, through you, <laughs> through these conversations, through loving one another, through gentleness and graciousness, as Paul says, he's going to come to them. And there's a process here. You don't go get two or three people and gang up on the person. You go to them in private. If that doesn't work, you get a couple more people. If that doesn't work, and it's sin, this isn't a disagreement about how things, this is sin. This is, the Bible says you can't do this, not, well, I feel like you shouldn't do that. That's not sin necessarily. It, is it sin? 
And then it says, how should we treat them if they still continue to sin? They still continue to struggle. Like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. What do you do with tax collectors? You pay taxes to them. I'm supporting them? You may. You may have to. You may have to stay in a relationship with them. You still may have to pay because they're a tax collector. And if you look at them and say, I'm not paying my taxes to you. Well, that's fine. The Roman government will come to your house. The IRS will come and they will take your stuff away. And you can stand in your pride because you're right. Because I confronted them. They, you still lose. How do we treat unbelievers? Do we beat them? Dummy. No, we love them. We pray for them. We tell them they're an unbeliever. We tell them you're not acting like Christ. You're not, you're not submitted to God. Yeah, sure, you're submitted to Caesar as a tax collector, but you're not submitted to God. And see, Paul is saying, look, Jesus gave these words to us. These words of how to handle disputes and conflicts are in the Old Testament. We've had it for generations. And Paul says, I'm just asking you to do it in the church. I'm not writing anything new. I'm appealing to the gentleness of Scripture and the graciousness of Scripture of God to tell you this stuff for thousands of years and not kill you all, but be patient with you so you change. He goes on to say this, For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapon of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolishing of strongholds. The demolition of strongholds. Let me ask you, if you want to know what the strongholds in your life are, trust me, it's probably not the obvious things. I mean, it can be. It's probably the pride behind those things that's your problem. That's the stronghold. It's you think you're God. It's I think I'm God. It's I think I have a right to this or that. Everybody should see me this way or that way. That's the real stronghold. It's I want to be commended. I want to be lifted up. I want to be recognized. That's the real stronghold that actually causes all the other ones. And we'll see that in a minute. And so what are the strongholds of pride in your life? What are those strongholds of pride in your flesh, right? The fleshly way, because he's like, look, there's a way to live fleshly in the world and there's a way to live spiritual. And I've been accused, Paul says, of not being spiritual. But I am telling you, we have lit, we've given our flesh to preach the gospel. We have lived in a spiritual way and we've done warfare in a spiritual way. The problem is the people that are accusing us of not doing this don't want to do spiritual warfare. They want worldly warfare. And they're mad that we don't fight the way the world fights. They're ticked off about it. And so he says, they're powerful. Do you believe that the spiritual tools that God has given us, prayer, his word, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the list is long, our identity in him, the promises of God, all of these things, do you believe those are powerful enough to destroy the strongholds that you have in your life, that other people that you care about have in your life, that the church today has in its mess? Do you believe that? Paul does. He believes that that's our goal. I want to tear down the strongholds. See, we don't want to go after the strongholds. Because those are hard to fight against. We just want to take care of the easy stuff. The easy sins to pick on. The easy issues. The strongholds? No. That's too much work. I just want to go pick off this little village, poor little village over here. I don't want to go up against the castle. If I can just pick off some poor villagers and pop myself up, then I feel pretty good about myself. But I'm not taking on the castle. And Paul's like, we take on the castle every time. And we get beat up and drug out of cities because we do it. <laughs> All the time. He goes on, he says, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Paul says, how do you demolish strongholds? Thing one, listen, thing one is you have to go after the mind and the knowledge of God. Every sin you do is because there's something going on in your head. Everyone. There, there's something, go, there's a way that you think, there's a process you get trapped in. There, there's, some, there's something you don't believe about God, so you go after that sin or that thing because you don't believe that God is enough. We all do it. 
We all have our pet little things that take us down this road. And Paul's like, step one to demolishing strongholds is you have to go after the high-minded thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And there are some really high-minded things in Western culture that fly in the face of God. And we love them. We love them. And we got to be careful because if we love those more than we love the Lord, if we love those plans and those efforts and those things more than we love Christ, we're going to be in sin. He says, then you have to take every thought captive. So first, you've got to work on getting the knowledge of God. You have to understand what the high-minded things that are attacking that. And then you're going to have to do the work of constantly taking every thought captive. Man, that's work. Have you tried this? As a believer, if you're not a Christian yet, listen, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit and without God. It's not possible. I mean, my thoughts are all over the place, all the time. And I, sometimes I'll just be driving and I'll think, where did that come from? Why did I think that? Like, like it happens, I've told you this story before, but it happens to me in traffic. Like if somebody cuts me off and they're driving crazy, I just want to be like, I just want to bump them. Not hurt them, just get them off the road. And, I, and, I, and I can, that would make everyone happy, wouldn't it? That the crazy man isn't on the road. Praise the Lord. I have been God. I have solved a problem for the world. And, and I think, no, I've just solved a problem for me because I'm mad at that guy. There might not be anybody. The other people on the road are probably singing in their car. A guy cuts them off. They're like, oh, wait. And they're just singing and having a good old time. They don't ever think about him again. And I'm driving down the road for the next 15 minutes thinking about, I wonder, you know, and if his car, oh, <laughs> If I go further up the road and he's broken down on the side of the highway, oh, I don't think to myself, I better pull over and tell him, I've been praying for you. No, I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, you deserve. What is that? I mean, seriously, I'll pause when I do stuff like that and I'll think, where did that come from? Where's that pride that is so wrong? God, forgive me. That's not righteous. That's wicked. It's not wrong to say he's driving crazy. It's not wrong to say, Lord, I pray that he doesn't hurt anybody. I pray that he's not hurt. It's not wrong to pray any of those things and call that out. It's wrong for me to come up with my solutions to take captive what I want captive so I can have what I want. And Paul says, take every thought captive. Grab it and say, is that what God would think? Is that what God says? And you can, here's the best part about this. You can do this if you're a brand new believer or if you've been a believer 50 years because you got a lot of thoughts. And God is really gracious as a new believers to not give you more than you can handle. And the older you get, God gives you more than you can handle so that you have to handle him and trust him. It's a beautiful thing. Then Paul says, look at this, obey Christ. You're not going to be able to obey Jesus if you don't take every thought captive. Because what's going to happen is you're going to obey with the wrong heart and the wrong thoughts. So you're going to run the guy off the road and then come before the church and say, I won. I, man, I served God yesterday when I was driving down I-469. Popped this guy off. He wasn't hurt, but I got him off the road. Aren't we all proud of Matt Shockney? You're going to say crazy stuff like that if you don't take every thought captive. And then you're going to start encouraging other people to do crazy stuff. That's how we get caught, cults. That's how we get messes. That's how we get the disasters we get because we don't even know what God's thoughts are. Most of you don't even read the Bible to find out who is the God behind this Bible. You don't want to know him. You just want to know what works. He goes on, he says this in Romans, Paul writes this, for, they, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. If you, and then he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's us. I know God. I know that, they did, that I don't glorify him or show him gratitude. It's all about me. And then my thinking becomes nonsense and then it just gets dark and then it's, oh gosh, I'm a mess. He goes on, in Romans 12, Paul writes this to the Roman church, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, remember he started with gentleness and graciousness, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices mean they're being burned up while they're still alive. They're being bled out while they're still alive. That's a living sacrifice. It means they can jump off the altar when it gets a little hot and when they're tired of bleeding. 
because they're alive. He says, you, you be a living sacrifice, someone that's willing to go through. And then he says, holy and pleasing to God. So not just, I'm sacrificing, but no, 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 in a way that's like, I'm yours, God, do what you want with this. I'm not expecting to get something. I'm not expecting that I gave you some great sacrifice. I was yours in the first place, so here I am. Make me holy. I, I just want to please you. I'm not trying to do this to get something or prove anything. And then he says, this is your spiritual worship. If you want to know if you're worshiping or not, there it is. Are, are you willing to be a living sacrifice? It's not how good the music is. It's not how good the preaching is. It's not the feels that you have. And then he goes on and he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Again, the mind is the battle. Then he says, for by the grace given to me, I tell every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. It doesn't say don't think of yourself highly. Underline that in your Bible. You are to think of yourself very highly. Because Jesus says he loves you. You are his child. You are a friend of God. You are a child of God. There are, he, you are a co-heir with Christ. These are incredible promises. And the enemy will lie to you and tell you you're nothing. You are not nothing. You are valuable. But don't think too highly of yourself. Think highly of Jesus. And then he says, then he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. You see, the God of our day, the way the enemy wants us to get into boasting and commending, the way that we see all the boasting and commending often happen in our own lives and in culture is because we really don't believe the God of the Bible. What we believe in is pra uh, pragmatic, therapeutic, moral deism. Looks like a big term, right? It's not. Pragmatic means what works. Therapeutic means what makes me feel good, what makes everything peaceful, what makes everything comfortable. Moral means I want to be looked at as a moral good person. And last is, God, you're off in a distance. I'll meet you someday. Just leave me alone so I can have my pragmatic, therapeutic, moral life. Thanks for heaven. I'll be there someday. Leave me alone so I can have my pragmatic, moral, theistic, or therapeutic life. If you don't believe me, Pick up a Christian book, any Christian book, and put it through the lens of pragmatic, therapeutic, moral deism and see where you end up. They're not all bad, but there's a lot that are bad. Does that mean God doesn't want us to have pragmatic, practical things? Not at all. He does. He loves us. Does he not want us to feel good? No, he wants us to feel his presence and his joy. Does it mean we're not supposed to be moral? Yes, be moral. But be sure you're doing it in him and with him, not he's over there, you're over here, because it's all about him. And that's what's missed. And so be careful, Paul says. He goes on to say this in Ephesians. Finally, how do we wage this war against this boasting and this commending? He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. That word stand there is the word commend. It's the same Greek root word. When he says stand, he's saying commend yourself against the devil. Commend is what someone does for you. Boasting is what you do for yourself. He's saying you got to realize there's someone commending you to stand. And his name is Jesus. And then he says, look at this, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Oh my goodness gracious, those are some pretty big strongholds. I just thought the problem was my annoying friend. <laughs> nope, much bigger than that. <laughs> I thought the problem was this sin, that if we just got this fixed, nope, you could fix that sin, there's a million others. It's way bigger than you think. You can't do this alone. There are strongholds that God's gonna have to break through. And then he says... This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the day of evil and having prepared everything to take your commending, your stand, your commission. Stand, commend yourself therefore with, what does he say? Truth like a belt around your waist. If you can't keep your pants up, you're gonna have a problem fighting. And the truth of God keeps your pants up. It holds everything else together. It's the thing that 
keeps you from being exposed and you can attach everything else to it. It's like the bat, it's like the, it, um, the bat belt, right? Remember utility belt that Batman had? Yeah, same thing. That's what it is. And then it says, okay, now that you got truth, the truth of God and who he is around your waist, you need righteousness like an armor on your chest. That's Christ's righteousness. He makes us right. He gives us the armor and we put that on and we cannot be pierced to the heart. Our hearts are his. They're protected by him. And then he says, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. So now that you got your pants up and you're protected in your heart, he says, now you got a job to do. You put your feet on because we're going. And you're like, wait, I only have a chest armor and my pants. He's like, that's good enough. You can go. Then he says, in every situation, take the shield of faith, sorry, the shield of faith, and with it, you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You got somebody shooting at you. You need that shield. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation. That's the mind reminding yourself of who you are in Christ and the sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive weapon in any of this which is God's word. So he says, you got a sword. And we're like, oh good. Because I thought I was just going to like be battling and I got nothing to fight with. Yeah, but it's just the word of God. You don't actually get a real sword. Oh. Um, that's, that's an interesting armor. And then he says, pray. Pray at all times and in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Paul is writing this letter because he's been praying for them. The reason we have all Paul's letters is because he's been interceding, he's been praying, he's been serving, he's been going. He put on the armor and he's going out into the world. That's why we have the letter. And Paul's like, I'm coming back to you to do battle. Then he says, after you do all this, after you understand that we're waging this war, you understand what our warfare is and how we fight this warfare, look at what he says. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed. I'm coming back and I'm willing to punish the disobedience. I'm going after it. You got to stop. You're hurting people. You're hurting yourself. You've got to stop. But don't think I'm just coming after the people you think are disobedient. Be sure your obedience confirmed. Be sure you've dealt with the speck in your eye and you're not sitting back going, I can't wait for Paul to get here because I got about four or five names of people he and I are going to have to deal with together. I've been making a list, checking it twice. They're on the naughty list. We're going after them. Hold on. Before you start commending yourself and boasting about yourself, you might want to check your own obedience to the Lord. It doesn't mean you don't punish disobedience. Paul says, I'm coming to punish disobedience. But he says, check your heart. I've checked my heart. Check your heart. He goes on and says this, look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. It's all about Jesus. You're like, well, I belong to Christ. Well, so do I. What does that mean? Like, we both belong to Christ. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm not any really more special than you. No, we're not. But we're together. Because it's all about him. And then he says, just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast some more, Paul says, I boast. I boast. I'm not afraid to boast. I just boast about the right things. He says, if I boast some more about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I'm not ashamed of that. Paul's like, I'm not ashamed to boast when I'm boasting about the right things. When I'm boasting in the authority of God's word and the authority that he's given in our world, I'm not afraid to boast about that. I'm happy to boast about it. It actually brings me great joy. I'm not ashamed to tell you how you should submit and how you should do things. I'm not ashamed at all. That's what we're supposed to do, Paul says. He tells this to Timothy. In Timothy 5.17, 1 Timothy, he says, The elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of ample honorarium, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So he's talking about money there, about supporting people. But then he says, don't accept an accusation against an elder, a pastor, that's the same word there, unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Oh, Matthew 18, Deuteronomy. It's the same exact pattern. God doesn't have one way to deal with leaders and another way to deal with everybody else. 
He's like, no, there's a proper way to deal with this. And so before you go attacking authority, you might want to check your own heart and ask if maybe you're the one that thinks you're right when you're not. Don't go around and gather a group of people to go get the authority. And then he says, look at this, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid, will also be afraid. Publicly rebuke those who sin. I love that this is nebulous when Paul writes this to Timothy. What do I mean by that? He doesn't say if the elder is sinning or the one confronting is sinning. You ever notice that in this verse? Most people don't. They think it's always about the one who confronted the elder. You got to get them. You got to get that person. No, if the elder's in sin, you got to rebuke him. You can't let that go on. You can't say, well, he's the boss. He's the pastor. We can't say anything. No, is he in sin? Is it sin? Is it clear? Then you, then you rebuke him. Now, we think rebuking is like, no, like, hey, that was wrong. That's rebuke, not meanness. And then he says, why? So that the other elders will be afraid. So that the other people who confronted elders improperly will be afraid. So that we all get the fear of God in us. <laughs> and go, I gotta be careful. I'm supposed to confront things. Paul says it, but I gotta be careful how I do it. See, most of us don't confront things because we know if we confront things, it's coming back on us and we haven't prepared our hearts for that. And God says, prepare your heart for it. That's what we're supposed to be about because we love one another. Then maybe if your heart's not prepared, you can look at the person and say, you know, I see this sin in your life. I've got it too. How about the two of us work on this together because we're both a disaster? Can you imagine if that was happening regularly in the church? That'd be awesome. He goes on and says this in Hebrews. It's written, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. It doesn't say imitate their stupidity. It says observe their life carefully and see the things that are done by faith and go, I'm going to do that. And the stupid stuff, they go, don't do that. That's what that means. Imitate the faith they have, not the dumb stuff. And then he says, look at this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You'll know if it's dumb stuff or faith because it's the same over and over and over again. It hasn't changed. You'll be able to figure it out. It's right here. <laughs> There's not some new faith, some newfangled belief system to boast about. Like I've got new information from God. Anytime someone tells me they got a new word from God, I'm like, did you write that down? Because that's scripture. You're a scripture writer then. If you got a new word, I got no new words. I just got the old ones. I don't, I don't need any more, by the way. I got way too much to handle. I am far educated beyond my obedience. I don't need more education. I need more obedience. And so when people want to give you a new word, why are you so, why do we think that that new thing's going to fix it? When all of this we ignore, we're like, oh, they got a new system, a new diet. All the other diets failed me. But this new diet, it's going to save my life. No, it's not. Because the old diets failed you because you don't like diets. You don't like calorie in, calorie out, exercise, don't eat so much, have a schedule, tell people and give people permission to tell you what to eat. You don't like that. And he goes on and he says, don't be led astray by various kinds of teaching. Go back to this. There are leaders who are going to try to lead you astray with all kinds of new teachings and boastings and commendings. Don't fall for it. The same yesterday, today, and forever is right here. It hasn't changed. Don't fall for it, he says. And then he says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You want to live in a house where everybody's just mad at each other all the time? Because you don't serve each other? There's just, it's all about me? Or do you want to live in a house where it's like we listen to one another, we practice Matthew 18, we practice what Paul's talking about, we do this so that we can have joy that we're all getting more like Christ. And then he says, pray for us. <laughs> This is hard being a leader. <laughs> I pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience. We're convinced, but we might be wrong, so pray for us. <laughs> I think I'm doing the right thing. I think it's by faith, but I just pray for us. And then he says, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. He says, because we genuinely want to conduct ourselves honorably. Paul goes on to say, I don't want to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with my letters. 
He has to write this because people are terrified by his letters. You don't write this if people aren't terrified. You don't. You don't. You're like, well, maybe you're terrified. No, they're terrified. Every time Paul writes a letter and it's delivered, and like, it's like me be coming in on Sunday morning next Sunday. I didn't tell you on Facebook. And we come in on next Sunday morning, I'm like, hey, guys, I've got a new letter by Paul. And he has specifically written for FX Church, just us. He knows all of your names. Some of you are even mentioned in this letter. Let's read it together. You'd be like, I'm leaving. I've read these letters of Paul and I'm out of here. Like, I want nothing to do with this. And he's like, I'm not trying to terrify you. If you're terrified, it's probably because you're full of pride. You're full of boasting and commending. You want, you want to feel better. You want, to, you want people to tell you how great you are all the time. You don't want to be told the truth. And you are great. God says so. But not because you're great. Because he's great. And he bought you. You're his. And then he says, for it's said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Like, the letters are weighty and powerful. Like, this is powerful, but man, Matt's a disaster. Yes and amen. I, I'm working out again. Haven't worked out in 30 years. My wife's like, you haven't worked out our whole marriage. What is happening right now? Are you in midlife crisis? I'm like, no, I just, I'm recognizing that if I don't stay in shape, I'm just getting older and I don't know if I'll be able to move properly. So I, I want to have some strength as I get older. Like, that's really my motivation. And then he says, the speaking is despicable. Pretty much, yeah. I say, I say wrong things all the time and have to be corrected. I preach too long. It's just the Bible. Like, it, it's not that great. You're like, well, I could read all this stuff Matt's telling me. Yeah, it's all there. I don't have anything else. I don't have some book and some fancy point to give you. It's just scripture. I mean, Paul, most people believe that Paul's name, Paul, the name Paul means shorty. And that's why he became Paul. God never changed his name from Saul to Paul. Do you know that? There's no place in the scripture that says his name was changed, ever. He literally was called Shorty all the time, and it just stuck. So now, literally, when you say Paul, you're calling him Shorty for all of eternity. It's like calling me Baldy for all of eternity. Oh, it's Baldy. There's Baldy. No, my name is Matthew. Nope, Baldy. That's what you're going to be. Everybody's going to know you as Baldy forever. God didn't change my name to Baldy. Well, but he gave you a bald head. <laughs> so he kind of did. 2 Corinthians 5.12, earlier Paul says this, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than the heart. See, that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, everybody wants to dismiss me because of the way I act. I'm a little too harsh. My letters are this or that. Like, my public speaking isn't good. I don't look good. I'm short and stout. And I, they want to dismiss me for all these reasons. But I'm telling you, quit looking at the outward appearance. Ask if what I'm telling you is true or not. Ask that. I wish people would do this in church today. So many people look for churches and it, they don't even look at their theology. They don't even look at the pastors and their lifestyles. They don't do any work to do all that Paul says to do in Titus and Timothy. And all he says and, and that Jesus says, they don't do any of that work. They go, oh, I like the music. The temperature's right. The lights. And this is nice. Boy, you're easily deceived. I mean, they may not be deceiving you, but you're already deceived. Like, Good luck. Man, if you're going to pick a husband that way, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? Oh, he's got a nice house and car, and it's a really good temperature when I go over to his house. And like, does he love Jesus? I don't know, but I really like all of his stuff. Looks good. But that's how we pick churches. They have a kids program, because I really need a kids program. But now the kids program's kind of died off, so now I need to go find a youth program in another church. Well, that's kind of died off, so now I need to go find this. Now I'm retired, so I need to go find retired people to hang out with. How about you just serve the people that are there? If you're a retired person, be like Betty and Omni and start writing letters to everybody and praying for people. Betty and Omni, there's, I don't know if you noticed, there's no one here for Betty and Omni. You guys are all young compared to them. They're, they're not sitting back at home being like, there's no one like us. I don't know what we're going to do. They're just serving faithfully. They're like, these are like our people. It goes on in 1 Samuel 16. It says, man does not see what the Lord sees. Man 
sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Paul goes on to say, such a person, such a person that looks at the outward appearance, that thinks that I can't speak and I'm harsh and terrible and all these things, he says, should consider this. What we are in the words of our letters when absent, we will be in actions when we come. Don't think I'm going to say one thing and do another thing. I'm not that guy. If God asked me to say this and do this, we're going to do it. And then he says, for we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. What aren't they comparing themselves to? Anybody, what are they not comparing themselves to, Paul says? This, God and his word. You compare yourself to this, you get really small. Really small. And then God says, but I'm going to make you shine so bright. It's so beautiful what God's plan is. It's amazing. And so Paul is writing and saying, look, we don't classify ourselves. We don't compare ourselves with other people. We compare ourselves by this book, which is why when we write letters, we always put scripture in our letters and call you back to what the Bible says. Because we want to commend you to this, not to us, not like, well, I, Paul, am telling you, you need to do this because I'm the authority and I'm the pastor and this is my word and this is our vision and we got to build this, we got to do this, we got to make this, we got to, so you all got to do it. Okay, Paul, where's that in here? I'm the pastor. You just need to do what we, I've told you to do. Paul's like, don't do that. Commend yourself by this, he says. And then in Matthew, Jesus said it this way. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it'll be judged back to you. If you find churches based on all the pretty things, don't be surprised when the church kicks you out because you ain't pretty no more. They don't want to put up with you struggling. They don't want to put up with your mess. You're gone. Or they just quietly set you aside because... You're not that great anymore. Or they just want to entertain you. They don't want to give you opportunities to serve in simple ways like share your faith, disciple people, you know, all the simple faith things. John says, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. It's not that we aren't to judge, it's that we're to rightly judge and understand that this is the judgment we used and so it's going to come back on us. Proverbs says this, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding, but on this, think about him in all your ways. And guess what? He will guide you on the right path. Paul goes on to say, we, however, will not boast beyond measure. In other words, there's a measurement to our boast, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us. We're not going to boast about stuff we didn't do or that God hasn't given us the strength to do. We're going to boast about what we can do. And then he says, which reaches even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not bragging beyond measure about other people's labors. Let me read to you another version of the Bible and how it says this. Because lots of times what Paul is saying is, look, we're not making wild and crazy faith claims. We're kind of keeping it real simple with you. But here's, here's another way it's said. We're sticking to the limits of what God has set for us. But there can be no question that those limits reach to you and include you. We're not moving into someone else's territory or ministry. We've already been there with you, weren't we? We were the first ones to get there with the message of Jesus, Right? So how can there be any question of our overstepping our bounds by writing you letters or visiting you? We're family. We're not bragging in on the rightful work of others, interfering with their ministries and demanding a place in the sun with them. That's not what we're doing, Paul says. We're just being faithful to the family that God's called us to and the ministry he's called us to. See, the greatest vice of all is pride. And we love to accuse others and ignore it in our own lives. We love to think falsely about it, have anxiety and depression because we can't be proud of what God has done in us or through us. You see, being proud of God and his true work in others is beautiful. C.S. Lewis wrote one of my favorite chapters of any book I've ever read. It's chapter eight of Mere Christianity called The Great Sin. Okay, and C.S. Lewis in that chapter says the great sin the greatest sin of all is pride. Here's a couple of excerpts from that. It says, pride leads to every other vice. 
It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride gets no pleasure out of having someone, something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is, it is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. That's just a small excerpt of that chapter. That chapter I have printed and I keep in a folder <laughs> in my life. It's one of the few things I have other than the Bible that I read on a regular basis. It goes on and says this. But we have the hope. So you have all this pride, what do we do? Well, Paul knows that we're feeling that way, so he says, but. But God, we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged so that we may proclaim the good news to the regions beyond you, not boasting about what we've already been, what's already been done in someone else's area of ministry. Paul's saying, look, this is simple faith. We just want to boast about watching your faith and trust in God increase. I love sharing your stories with people. I share your guys' stories with people all the time to share the gospel. All the time. At least, three, at least four of you, I've shared your testimony or how you followed Christ to someone in the last week. That I thought, they seem like they're probably going through what this person went, and I've talked to them about you and what God has done in your life. I wouldn't know that if you weren't willing to boast about Christ's work in your life and commend yourself to stand with him and with others. We wouldn't know your story. I couldn't share your story. But if you were doing it wrongly, I wouldn't share your story. If you were boasting about yourself and commending yourself, you wouldn't be the one I picked to share with the people who need to hear about Jesus. Still love you. Paul goes on. He says this in 2 Timothy as he's coming to the end of his life. He looks at 2 Timothy and he says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Paul says, I'm coming back to the church. Be confident of that. I'm going to deal with issues. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, I'm coming to appear back to you. Then he says, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke. That means, hey, don't do that. Correct. Encourage with great patience and teaching. Don't just be patient with sin. Teach them about how not to sin. Help them. <laughs> and then he says, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, their own pride, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new, something to boast about, something to come in. Look at what we're doing. Look at what we're, we're so big. Look, I just want us to do simple stuff in our church. I know that's boring. I just want you to simply follow God. I just want you to simply share the gospel. I want you to simply go to work, work a job, have joy in making an income, giving it, living on a budget. I want you to do simple things because Jesus says if you do the simple things, you will be entrusted with greater things. But if you try to chase the greater things without doing the simple things, you're going to be a casualty of war. Paul's like, do the simple things. But as for you, Timothy... He says, they're going to turn away from hearing the church. They're going to turn to miss. But as for you, be serious about everything. That's that head knowledge. You know, you can be serious about comedy. That's everything. See, we think be serious about everything. Be serious about, you can be serious about, we're serious about comedy. We actually have a dry bar comedy subscription in our home. Given to us by our kids because our kids probably felt the need that my parents need to be a little more funny. They need a little bit more help with like laughing more because they're pretty serious people. And so when we can't find anything to watch, which is almost like every time we turn on the TV, whenever we turn on the TV, it's like, and then I'm like sports and Susan's like, no. And then Susan's like Hallmark. I'm like, no, <laughs> we go to dry bar comedy. Like every time, and we listen to one, we're like, oh, he's terrible. That's not, no, that's not good. And so we find one we like, we're like, well, that's pretty good. And then we laugh and then we go to bed. And we're so much happier when we go to bed. It's like we go to bed laughing. We think, okay, it was funny. Good night. Hi, I like you. You're such a better... Do comedy seriously. <laughs> then he says, endure hardship. 
Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. God has a ministry for you to do. It's not complicated. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. Your job is to reconcile people back to God. You're looking for some specific kind of ministry. You don't need a spigot. You have the ministry. Why are you looking for something specific? God will show you the specific thing as you do the little things. I have no idea how I got to where I am. I'm just telling you. I, I can't explain it. I try to tell people my story and I'm like, you, I, God. I, can't, I, I don't know how to, it's weird. And sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm I don't want to boast about it because I'm like, it sounds like I'm boasting when I tell this story because it's like all these crazy things and I don't want people to think that, I don't know how to say this. It'd be easier if I just, well, I did this, then I did this, then I went to seminary, then I did this, then I did this, and then I arrived at where I was supposed to be because I did all the right things. Man, that'd be a great way to say it. That is totally not my story. It's probably not yours either. He goes on, Paul says this, so the one who boasts, the one who boasts, the one who boasts, you boast, I boast, everybody boasts, but the one who boasts, because you're going to boast, must boast in the Lord. That is a command. It doesn't say should, you might want to think about it. He says you must boast in Christ. You're going to boast, boast in Jesus. And if you don't boast in Jesus, you're in sin. Because you're going to boast. It's going to happen. You might want to make it about Jesus. Paul says. Jeremiah says it this way. This is what the Lord says. The wise man must not boast in his wisdom. The strong man must not boast in his strength. The wealthy man must not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Oh, man. I got to be reminded of that more. That I am Yahweh showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. The days are coming. The Lord's declaration when I will punish all the circumcised yet uncircumcised. All these nations are uncircumcised, but the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised of the heart. Circumcision, like baptism, was the outward recognition of an inward change of the Old Testament. And he goes, sure, my Israelite people, they say they're circumcised. They can show you the evidence of their circumcision if you really want to see. Okay, take the belt off and there it is. Their heart's just as wicked as the people who are uncircumcised. They changed their body, but it didn't change their heart. And then Paul goes on to say in Philippians, for we are the circumcision, believers in Jesus, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Philippians, Paul says earlier in the book, hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Boast in Christ, boast in Christ, boast in Christ. It'll keep you from boasting about yourself. <laughs> yeah, promise. It will. Then Paul says this at the very end. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Take a deep breath. Let it out. This isn't on you. This is hard. We all got pride. This boasting, it constantly is there, this boasting and commending in our lives. And Paul writes, look, the one commending, the one, it's not about commending yourself, convincing yourself to believe this. It's about understanding how God has commended you. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible is Romans 5, 8. People use this and have used this a long time to share the gospel. It says, but God proves what do you think the word proves there is? It's commend. It's the same Greek root word. God commends you, his own love for you, that while we were yet sinners, Christ commended us. 
We are his boast. We are his commendation. He commends and says, I want you to know me and I prove it by sending my son to give the boast of the father, commend himself to you to stand and go to the cross. And so we are approved because of what he's done, not what we've done. Let me ask you this morning. As you look at your life and where it's going, Do you want to come to the end of your life and have people boasting about Jesus or having them just tell a few stories about some nice things you did? Man, I want people coming to the end of my life and just boasting that they helped me know Christ. They pointed me to Jesus. I want to come to the end of my life and have confidence to know that when I stand before Jesus, he is going to look at me and say, I I love you. Not because I earned it, but because he's always said it. And I want to believe it now so that when I'm ready to see him, I'm not making less of myself. I'm just happy to see him. If you're not there, can I just pray for you this morning and ask you, what is it in your life that is that pride that that is keeping you from surrendering for the first time to Jesus and committing your life and saying, no more me. I'm going to embrace that Christ died for me and he commends me. And if you've done that, What's that pride that you still hold on to that you need to allow God, maybe allow some other people in your life to break down that pride so that you're no longer boasting about you, you're no longer commending yourself by comparisons to the world, but you are boasting about Christ and you are commending yourself to him and his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this word. Lord, this is heavy stuff. Paul said that his letters are heavy. He didn't hold back. He said that these things are are weighty. But he also said that we can trust in you and in your love and in your compassion. That while we are yet sinners, all of us here sinning, all of us struggling, you still commend us. You commend us to come to you and you give us forgiveness and grace and you are patient in rebuking and correcting in righteousness as long as it takes because it's for your glory. So, Lord, if there's anyone here who's not surrendered, their boast has been trying to to basically tell you how great they are so that they can kind of earn heaven and, and maybe their goods will outweigh their bads, I pray they would just quit. They would stop. And they would realize that they're nothing without you. And they would realize that if they ask you to come in and to become that living sacrifice that lays down their life, that you'll give them everything. All the promises become theirs for eternity. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you would help us to check our hearts. And would you change our boasting and our commending of one another, our boasting of ourselves and one another, would you change that to be boasting and commending about you? We pray in your name.